0: Well, that said, this is uh, this is a fun one, and and part of what will make this uh, lesson today a, a fascinating one is that it's one of the most well-known uh, sections in all of Scripture. But I hope that maybe as we take a look at this, you're going to see uh, maybe some uh, an approach to it that, that maybe you haven't quite looked at it this way. Uh, I want to start though today with uh, I want to look at the setting uh, because. Always, 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 again, we talked about the doctrine of covenants, you need to know the historical setting. If you'll understand the setting behind this, you'll understand better uh, why it is that the Savior chose to go the direction that he did. Uh, so let's let's look over at Matthew 5. It's nice, too, that we have two versions of this. One we call the uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, and then the other one is the Sermon on the Temple uh, in 3rd in, uh, Nephi. And so we actually get to kind of put those two together a little bit. But listen closely. to. to first of all, I want you to see who this was addressed to. Number one, uh, this is the point, by the way, he's beginning to do miracles, and now he's extremely popular, people are pressing in from all sides, and he's going to be popular for about the next year until he really starts coming down hard on some stuff, and they will separate, and they will leave. And then he's going to turn to Peter and say, will you go away also? But right now he's at the height of his popularity. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now let's so so let me start with this. Who was this? Who was this sermon addressed to? His disciples. Was it was it addressed to the multitudes at large? No. Uh, he's going to be very selective about how he's doing that. And in fact, we're going to. Third Nephi kind of confirms that a little bit. Third Nephi does the same thing. There were going to be those that were at the temple. Who are very active and and this this sermon is going to go to disciples to teach them how to disciple. Yeah. Are you not just the twelve disciples or Probably more than that. I think there was more than just the twelve. But you
1: people faith,
0: you faithful? Yeah, and 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 to do that though, where is he going to do the this this uh, talk? On up on the mountain. Okay. And now you get the symbolism of saying, everybody in the garden, there's been some suggestions that this is kind of the mount of his uh, temp, his own temptations. This is his place to go, but it is it's not on the gentle plane. It's up here on the mountain. And in, in 3 Nephi, where this the sermon takes place where? In the, in the temple. Okay. So now a specific instruction two disciples in a sacred spot to prepare them to now go out to the world. This would be, in the the early days of the church, this would be like the school of the prophets taking place in the curtain of the temple. and I'm going to train missionaries to prepare to go out and carry my work out. So was this a, do
1: we know
0: what mountain, or is this a special? If you go to Jerusalem now, there are going to be a number of ideas where it might have been. But I don't think anybody knows the exact location, other than when we talk about a mountain, it's a mountain, it's high up. Yeah.
1: If it's the place that we went to, they, they do have a church that they built on the top of it. Sure. They talk about how the area is is designed in such a way that it's like a bowl, and that you can speak from the top of that hill and be heard by many many people in that valley area because it kind of comes up again, and so there's a, a great acoustical. Thing.
0: Yeah. And I think that's and I think that's kind of the common conception of the, that it was like this was almost like when we were speaking the five thousand. You know that it was going to be a large mass gathering. I don't think so. You get this sense it's high up on a mountain. It is way that. And by the way, why a mountain? How do you get up a mountain? You got to climb. It's not an easy thing. You're going to have to deliberately <laughs> separate yourself from the world. To get up the mountain and get there, and then once you're on the mountain, what happen? What can you see? Your vision is so much better from a mountain, isn't it? You can look out and you can see things uh, much more clearly because you have a different view of things. And so I, I love the fact that he would be doing this at the top of a mountain, looking out over everything.
1: the general membership of the church right. at that time. It was more the the administrative or the,
0: the. I think it was. It was those that he was training. That, that that's why I uh, when I when I was putting this together, I wanted to really kind of call this. Um... Well, I'm not. I'm going to mess this up now. That's why I wanted this to be more of a leadership training. Up uh, okay. this would be this would be the equivalent. Uh, we just had a state conference. This is probably the equivalent of our four o'clock leadership session with the uh, with uh, Elder Ellis. We're tr- this is training, okay, and not to everybody at large. Okay, now that said, I wanted to I wanted to throw in this these comments of Elder Hall uh, with his particular view of this. In the most famous sermon ever given, Jesus began by pronouncing wonderfully gentle blessings, which every one of us wants to claim—blessings promised to the poor in spirit, the poor in the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the meek. How edifying those beatitudes are, and how soothing they are to the soul! They are true, but. In the same sermon, the Savior went on showing how increasingly straight the way of the peacemaker and the pure in heart would need to be. You've heard that it said of all, just shall kill. But I say if anyone's angry, they're in danger of the judgment. It gets to be more stringent. And then uh, as as Elder Holland would do it. Obviously, as the path of discipleship ascends, the trail gets ever more narrow. Until we come to the knee-buckling pinnacle of the sermon, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, here's his suggestion to us. What was gentle in the lowlands of initial loyalty becomes deeply strenuous and very demanding at the summit of true discipleship. Clearly, anyone who thinks that Jesus taught a no-fault theology did not read the fine print in the contract. No, in matters of discipleship in the church, the church is not a fast food outlet. We can't always have it our way. Someday, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Christ and the salvation shall come, only come, His way. Now, I love that. You're going to see this in the Beatitudes. There is a, and that's why I wanted to start with this. I need you to watch this gradual building all the way through Matthew 5. And it's going to start gentle, almost like you're climbing up the mountain. And you're in the lowlands. And then you're going to start walking up the mountain and it gets to be harder. Uh... Now, why would the Lord do this to us? How we grow. Wouldn't it be easier to just... Why is He going to make it harder? How we grow. It is how we grow. And, and how is that how we grow? I'm constantly being challenged more and more. That the higher we get and the more that He's going to improve, He's going to give us a greater challenge. And more responsibility, and more responsibility to go with that. It is line upon line, and, it's, and 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 we receive the next line based on our ability to handle the first line. So this is this growing process. Yeah. This is where I get very
1: confused because, and I'm just trying to understand other faiths when they say they don't believe in repentance and they don't. This idea that you accept the Savior and it's you're done. Right. Like
0: This is that idea, yeah. Okay, now from, from a Christian standpoint, how would you explain to this poor Mormon who doesn't understand? How would how would how would some who would, how would a, a good Baptist or good Methodist explain it? It's great, Why? Grace. Grace. Oh, grace. grace. Yes. Well, you are given by grace, and it's not, And it can't be any of your own works. So all of these things, if it's going to require work on your part, that means somehow you're earning it.
1: I've always been told by those they say, "Well, God loves us all. Why would He reject anyone who wants us all to all to come back to Him?" And so, solve- so He's going to reject
0: everyone, regardless of what you've he's going done. To make it very easy for us. You know, and, and the interesting part about that is too, though, that it is this idea. But you must confess Jesus. Well, what about those in the world that never had a chance to confess Jesus? There, there's a, there is a, there's a, there's a, an, a struggle there about what, what we, how we explain to people in the dark ages, or to somebody in this world that never comes in contact with a Christian missionary. Yeah.
1: When been explain to me, is really what we believe, which is, which is, that the accepting Christ is the grace that we can't get ourselves to help Yeah. And that the works that we is our
0: gratitude to Christ for everything he does for us. Yeah, and, and that, that really is a good way of explaining how, and looking at. You know, and and that that's why sometimes when people are looking at the church and, and members of the church are saying, I, uh, there was a prominent minister uh, that worked with uh, Brother Millet and he says, trying to nail what Mormons believe, uh, trying to understand is like trying to nail jello to the wall. Because I get different answers from different Mormons. And I have a hard time getting a straight answer. So for instance, uh, let let me give you an example of that. Do we believe that only Mormons will be in heaven? No, we don't. But we believe that you have to be baptized. How do you explain that? Baptism for the dead. There is baptism for the dead, but even if they reject baptism, will they go to heaven? Yes. Yes. Without understanding the, the different degrees of glory, if you're going to say to somebody who is, who is Christian, who's going to say, so so who do you believe goes to heaven? I'll say, explain to me what, how you see heaven. Beautiful place, sweet spirit, Jesus visits from time to time. Do I, do I believe only Mormons will be in that place? No. No. In fact, there'll be some very wicked people that have to kind of go through some penance stuff, but they're going to be there. And it'll be a nice place, better, not more nicer than they ever expected that it would be. But we're not explaining exaltation and the need to go through certain ordinances to get us to a certain place, right? That's where people get confused. What do Mormons really believe? I would always bring up the subject of the Reformers, too. I, I take my hat off to those guys. They figured out a lot of this without the priesthood being restored and they saw it. Yeah, Great. yeah. The, the, the reformers and the Christian martyrs and those guys that were pushing back in, in certain places. Uh, one of the uh, early fathers, uh, Origen, uh, or Origen, depending on how you want to pronounce that, got in such trouble with the church that he believed in a pre-existence for everybody, <coughs> not just Jesus. And and, boy, and they, he was really kind of banished for that. So, All right, well, that said then, we ought to let's uh, let's uh, let's put the setting in our mind, and then we'll discuss it. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Blessed is the kingdom of heaven.
1: Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. For they shall have the earth. Blessed are they are ye, and men shall revile you, persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you, falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad.
0: Now that you got the sailing pictured, let's go to let's go to Matthew five and let's take a look at this. Now, as we do so, I want you to notice something interesting. We're on the lowlands and we're about to start ascending the mountain. But, but in some ways, I look at this, and this is. In some ways, this is the hardest part of the journey. It's the choice to begin to make this journey. And you're going to notice that the first few verses are very, very internal to us. It talks about changes inside of us prior to us being able to go out and do what we're going to do out there. So let's take the first one. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Okay, when we talk about poor in spirit, that doesn't sound really good, does it? What, what, who are the poor in spirit? Humble, humble, teachable. the teachable. You know what, friend? If I were going to put a name on poor in spirit, the word that comes to my mind is teachable. And and maybe the best way to do that if I, I referenced uh, Alma thirty-two. And remember, these are, the, these are the people at the time with the, with the Ramyampton. And, and you've got the, the place inside where you can preach and then you've got the people that can't get into the Rameamton. They can't worship. Uh, verse 6, And now when Alma heard this, he turned about his face immediately towards him. Always a great phrase. That's better than head, turning around with your face behind you. Turned his face immediately towards him, and he beheld with great joy. He beheld their afflictions, had truly humbled them, and then listened closely. They were then what? In preparation. They had been prepared. That's the teachable part, I think. Yes, for the bride. In other words, if I'm going to be teachable, I have to surrender some things. And the first thing I've got to understand... And why why would pride be such an impediment here? Because then you're not teachable. Why? Because you know better. Because I know this stuff. Okay? Some feedback here. That helps. Okay? Yeah, I'm not teachable. Which means I've got to be able to give up my pride. Uh... And, and verse 8, Alma's going to say, I behold that you are lowly in heart, poor in spirit. Lowly in heart, if so, blessed are ye. And what's the blessing that come to the, the poor in spirit? Oh, isn't that nice? You're going to get the kingdom. If we get ready, if someone's getting ready to be baptized, how critical is this piece? In order, in order to receive the kingdom of God, you have to be able to be, to surrender your pride so that you can be taught. And there is something to the baptism part that is kind of a humbling process. Okay? Uh, so, so as we go through these, here, here's our question today, and this is the hardest part for each one of us, and I'm asking this rhetorically because I'm not asking for discussion. <coughs> today you have to look at your own heart. Where am I? How am I doing? Only you know. Only you know. Now, this this journey that we're talking about, this disciples' journey up the mountain, is this a straight incline? Does it have some ups and downs? Yes. So, my question to you is, where are you in your journey today, this week? Could it be different than it was last week? Is it different than it will be next week? This journey goes up and down and all over the place. And someday, some weeks you're going to do better than others. So my question is, how are you doing this week? How is your heart this week? Who, who would know how your heart is? Only you, right? All right. So we're going to go with the... uh, So along with that, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then the next one is going to be... That's good, Mandy, Thank you. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, why are we going to suddenly be talking about mourning and loss when we're talking about the disciples' journey?
1: His death. A little
0: bit. That's a possibility.
1: Well, if it's anything like Nephi, he mourns when, when he rejoices, he wants no. Yeah, no, he wants to rejoice, but then he mourns because of his sins. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. If you're starting a journey and you're talking to disciples, and we're talking about, first of all, you've got to give up some pride. You're going to be poor in spirit. You're going to be teachable. You're going to be humble. And the next thing you realize when you start to give this up, what do you see? Your own sins. Your weaknesses. So what are you going to mourn? Isn't it fascinating? In, in uh, For King Benjamin, he's going to tell us that uh, the natural man, our natural dumbness, Our natural pridedness is what to God? It's an enemy. Not just a little harder to hear the gospel, but an enemy. What's an enemy? Something that actively fights against that. What, What happens when we start to become teachable and we recognize that our stubbornness, our pride has actually been pushing back against the very God who's trying to give us grace? Then we mourn. That's right. Yeah.
1: And and when you become humble like that, you're vulnerable, and you don't know what you're going to expect, how you're going to be changed by the Savior. And so it's a little scary. So that's also another way you would mourn.
0: Isn't that true? You're going to mourn that I'm going to... What, so what am I mourning? I, I'm, I'm mourning the, I, my loss of I don't know where I'm now going. Right. I may have to give up a... A, a, a goal, a dream or something because I'm going to place my hands, I'm going to place my life, I'm going to place my will in the hands of somebody and I don't know what he has in store for me. Yeah.
1: Um, years ago I had a, um, a CES director say the first four steps were faith, repentance, baptism, given to the Holy Ghost. And there they are that which followed were gifts of this spirit. Yeah, and we're about
0: to see that. That's what that's what, what we're actually coursing through. These first four. Faith, and then there's going to be repentance. And, and you just watch, watch this path of discipleship. It's, it's awesome. And the Savior is kind of embedded that in here. So th- this really is that mourning process. And those that mourn will be comforted, filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you've got to walk away from some things that maybe are comfortable for us. What if you have a favorite sin? <laughs> and I may have to give some things up in order to, to walk down this road. Absolutely. There is a mourning process. There should be a mourning process. And, and when we talk about baptism and repentance, repentance is turning back away from. It is the process of mourning what we should have been doing and mourning what we've done, but it may also be giving up some things. There are a number of people that have joined the church who still really miss coffee. <laughs> you know, they're still mourning back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Probably the more committed they will be, but there is a whole process that needs to happen you know, as well as that warning. I, I think so. Yeah. Stace? Um, I think this too, especially as parents, I think we mourn a lot over our children. <laughs> I mean, because if you look at the top of God guide, it talks about tribulation, the with grief, despair. I'm like, I can't do really anything that elicits a lot of those feelings than trying to be a parent when you're worried about your children. That's why he is there, to comfort and let him realize that he is
0: in companionship with us. I, exactly. And in fact, if you think about Enoch and the Savior looking at the world just before and the, watching the flood process, and he turns and he goes, Well, they were wicked. They kind of deserved it. And he turns and looks at the Savior. And what does he see? He's weeping. This is a weeping God. What's he weeping for? He sees their sins and there is a mourning process on the part of the Savior. Yeah?
1: Sometimes you have to
0: give up people. Yeah. Uh, President, you you shared something in the state conference. I wonder if you could give a a shorter version of that of the bishop that came in uh, to do baptisms the other night. He, uh, as a young man, joined the church at the age of 18 and was promptly kicked out of his home. He served a mission, and after his mission, he came back and uh, asked he to come back into his home, and he was not allowed back in. His mother never relented on that position.
1: His father saw in the last year or two of his life,
0: and uh, he had nothing to Here's a whole lifetime of mortality of, of having to kind of give up parents in order to follow and do what he needed to do and them not understanding. And, and imagine the joy that he felt as a missionary in the gospel and, and all those kind of things and then realizing if he ever was going to try and come back and share it with his parents, it was going to be rejected. Sometimes there's a mourning process across the board as, as part of our uh, this discipleship journey. Okay?
1: Yeah, I'm just gonna say when I joined the church, uh, I met a sister that uh, she had joined the church, and I don't remember whether it was a, one of her parents uh, died. And all she said, all I'm gonna do is i want to see her one more time. And she went and sat on the swing on the porch, hoping that she'd be recognized. That her family walked right past her and right past her. Wow. And never knew she was there.
0: So it's amazing what we may give up. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think sometimes we forget long term members of the church that some of these people loved the church that they were in. Yeah. The service. My husband was an Episcopalian and he loved that the service that was found great spirituality there. Sure. And it was really hard for him to give that up. Now they've made it easier for him through the years because they've gotten straight. <laughs> uh, but you know at that age that was hard and we forget that they,
0: that they had a love for that church that they in. there is a mourning process there was tr- there's
1: truth in those churches oh there absolutely is that Truth and say that's truth.
0: yeah if you, if you walk into like like if you're in Europe or England or something like that and you walk through these really old churches and you walk through the symbolism that exists there and that there are there are beautiful truths that are that are there Okay, so, so here's what we're watching. But still what we're watching is all of these changes for a disciple are all happening inside us. It's internal. First we've got to be poor in spirit. Then there's a mourning. Then the next step is blessed are the meek. And, and So here are the meek and the, and the lowly of heart. And what happens to them? They inherit... The earth. This place is our final. uh, Dwelling place for those that. This this will be our celestial kingdom. It's here. Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And then finally blessed are those. Who do hunger and thirst. After righteousness. Now there's two layers here. I want you to be aware of. Uh, Because we have a. A Joseph Smith version, a Book of Mormon version that completes this. But just look at it for where it sits at the moment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. filled. Think about the word for a second. It doesn't mean for they shall be on a diet and you'll get little sips. you hunger and thirst after righteousness and you will be filled. Satiated, completed. Okay? Uh, I love the term, uh, and I think, did I put it in here? Yes, I did. Uh, Remember this with the the woman at the well. And the Savior is teaching her, and she begins to get it. And He says to her, Whosoever drinketh this water I shall give him shall never thirst. And her response is, Give me of this water that I thirst not. If you're no longer thirsty, you are completely filled. You are are satiated. There's no desire for anything else. Okay. Now, he's he's then going to say, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled with what? According to the Joseph Smith version and Book of Mormon. Filled with? The Holy Ghost, right? Filled with the the Spirit. Okay? Uh, And that means then that that's how He fills us. He's going to fill us completely with. Now, let me just take a step back to this again, the condition of our hearts. We talk about this journey of discipleship, and we have our good days and our bad days. Do you always feel filled? You might be filled after a particularly good Sunday or after General Conference or something. Uh, I know I would, after General Conference, I always feel like, to use President Kimball's term, I always feel like a wet sponge. You know, I've mentioned that he felt as a as a state president, Spencer Kimball did, down in Arizona. You know, and he said as a... Uh, he would come away from General Conference feeling like a wet sponge. And then he would go down and go back to his work as a state president and then slowly over the next six months he'd get wrung out to where he was just completely dry and parched then he'd go back up to general conference and then he would be satiated he'd then be filled and he'd become a soaking wet sponge because he'd just sponge it in, he'd just take it in now I'm a wet sponge, and then he'd go back to Arizona and spend the next six months getting wrung out again okay uh, do, have you ever had callings that felt that way that it felt like in the in the execution of that calling, you slowly got wrung out. Okay. Shannon, it's a church early Morning at the Seminary. You ever feel a little bit wrung out over classes? It's quite ready to hear the wonderful stuff that you got. Um, I said they're
1: pretty magnificent, but again. Okay.
0: Yeah. Sometimes you get to that point, and then you get recharged, and then you're back at it again. Okay. So we're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, again, this process is still internal. And the changes are occurring inside of you. Now, here's where we begin to make the transition. Um If you are now filled with the Holy Ghost, if you have gone through this process, the next step then that is left to you then is you must now do what? Now you have to reach out. I'm changed, but now comes the real challenge. You're a little bit farther up on the mountain. My next step is now I've got to do something that could be more difficult, and that is now I'm going to have to reach out. And that's going to be much harder. If we look at this next step, uh, blessed are the pure in heart. I'm trying to remember if if I got this. Nope, I didn't. Okay. Blessed are the pure in heart. In the church, when we talk about somebody being pure in heart, what are we talking about? We have a code name for this. Who are the pure in heart? Zion. Okay, let's describe Zion. When we talk about Zion, what are we what are we describing? In, in what way Cheryl? It means we give a lot of what we give, we pay an extra big pass on Okay, and and we are. We're going to be of one mind and one heart. That's what creates Zion. But we also begin to know, and listen to the terminology here, because it's really beautiful. In Zion, there are no poor. Wait a minute, didn't we just talk about the poor? In Zion, there are no poor. Poor what? Poor in spirit. And... In Zion, there will also be those that are no poor financially. But all of those things have to be equal. That is Zion. And this comes to those that are going to be able to do these things. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, look at the next verse. And and, and moms, blessed are the peacemakers. As 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 a if you're a mother, the thing that you want most in your household is what? Peace. peace. Do not want contention. Contention drives you over the edge faster than anything else because you want peace. Especially if you have like a two-year-old or a thirteen-year-old will seem to be the closely related. And who would be those easy to live with? Yeah. It doesn't happen generally when they're children unless they're sleeping. Okay. Now, so he's going to walk us through this process. And I need to see how he develops this. So if you're going to be the peacemaker. Now, now peacemaker, now listen to what, look at the next few verses. I'm sure this is an accident that he would then describe this next section. You're going to be a peacemaker. And then what does he start talking about? Yes. Blessed are those that are persecuted. Okay. And he's going to say. Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wait, 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 wait. Didn't we get a kingdom of heaven earlier? Who else got the kingdom of heaven? Ah, the poor in spirit. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so just remember the meek. Are going to be those that are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. uh, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those. Blessed are ye when men shall revile against you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you. Uh, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For uh, so persecuted they the prophets that were before you. Okay. What's he saying to the disciples? There will be persecution. There will be pushback. I'm going to warn you. This all sounds good. I'm always kind of interested. It is amazing to me how many people attack the church. And as members of the church, we get up every morning determined to do what? Do good, right? And yeah, we take care of our families. We're trying to be law-abiding citizens. We're trying to do the right things. When we do something wrong, we try to repent. We're trying to be good people. And it's amazing how many people then see the church as the enemy. So there's going to be persecution. Now. So here's the problem then. A little bit farther up the mountain. Okay, disciples, now you've got all of this. You've gone through the process. You're, you're all ready to go. And now because of that, ye are what? If we look now in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now, if we're going to talk about salt, and we're going to do it in this setting, what is salt to the Israelites?
1: It's, very... it's what? A, it is a very revered or
0: revered. Right. Why was it revered? One, it was a preservative. Right? In fact, look at um, I think I've got it here. If we did, I'll just show you a couple of places. Leviticus 2.13. Leviticus 2.13. Leviticus. There it is. Look at twelve, talking about offerings. As for the oblation of the first fruit, well, 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 Let's remind ourselves. What is an oblation? It's an offering. It is a gift. Remember that word, gift. We're talking about gifts in a second. An oblation is a gift that we are giving to who? God. Where are we going to give the oblation? At the altar. As members of the church today, where do we give our oblations? The At the sacraments. That's right. So it isn't just a matter of remembering the Savior, but it's remembering the Savior by doing what? Mm-hmm. Giving Him a gift. And the gift is? Our sins. It's our oblations. We're giving, we're placing something on the altar. And by the way, you place it on the altar for the purpose of doing what? Our. Sacrificing. So that it will be? burned, cooked, toast, gone, is cold as completely consumed. That is an oblation at the altar. Now, fascinating to me, though, is verse 13 in Leviticus. And every oblation, every gift of the meat offering, thou shalt season with, oh, well, stop. What, if you're going to cook this thing but not eat it, I can see if you're like grill and you're barbecuing, and then you might want to put some salt on it because then it will taste better. If you're going to if you're going to offer up an oblation, a gift, and you're going to put it on the altar, why would the Lord require you to put salt with this? What purpose does that serve? So that it will be completely consumed. The covenant. What about the covenant? The covenant of God. Yeah. God. Neither shalt thou suffer this. And then listen to the term that he's going to use there. The salt of the covenant. If, if salt, why don't he use salt as symbolic for the covenant? Go back, look at what we know. What is salt? Preservative. Preservative. And it preserves, it keeps things, right? Keeps things as they're supposed to be. What is a covenant? It is a promise. And? A promise to do what? And? Preserve us. It is a preservative for what? For us. Salt, in this case, means covenant. You're not going to offer a, an offering, a gift, without remembering your covenant. You are covenant Israel. You make promises at baptism, in the temple, your covenant. And every time there is an offering offered, it is offered with an understanding of the covenant. Does that make sense? Okay, now. Now. Let's go back to this. because We say this all the time. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now explain. What is the salt of the earth? You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean about you? You are the covenant of the earth. You are the preservative preservative of the earth. The preservative that you bring the covenant to them. Why? So that we can preserve them. We can save them. You are the covenant of the earth. You are Israel. Preserve them. That's why they need to understand. This is the disciples being trained. He's about to send them out. These are words that they would understand. You are the preservative in this, all of this. And I'm going to send you out. Because he's going to use a couple of examples. Ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt has lost its savor. Now, by the way, I think this is a play on words. And I think he did this very deliberately. <coughs> How far is it to go from, ye are the salt of the earth, but what if the salt has lost its savior. Isn't that beautiful? If it loses its savor, its taste, but also if it loses its savior. It rejects its savior. How can Saul lose its savor? Good question. Can salt lose its savor? How can it do it? here class. Yes. Uh, salt loses its savor when it's polluted. Yes. In other words, salt by itself can last in perpetuity. But if it is mixed with particulates, it can be it can be broken down and destroyed. It has to be mixed with uh, unsavory, unsavory things. Yeah. Well, just as a side note of that, when you go to restaurants, do you ever notice that there is rice mixed in with the salt? And that's to
1: keep it from being
0: by other things and moisture, yeah, we're in Texas, you're going to need something otherwise it turns into a problem okay, yeah I'm just thinking about, we have Alexis (coughs) and I have been taking an herbal course online and one of the sections is actually about salt, even though it's not an
1: herb exactly, we use it a lot and it has medicinal properties, so the salt um, is not just about things tasting salty, but it's to bring out the best flavors of things so, flavors
0: that are already there flavors that are
1: already there but it's enhancing the flavors the very best flavors and so I think also when we're being the salt of the earth we are enhancing we're bringing out what's already in people the
0: best that's already in people we're drawing it out I like that yeah So the, uh, and so you get, the, you get these images that he's trying to teach them but listen what he's trying to teach them Specifically, that you're now going to go forward as the covenant disciple, and you're going to have to go down into the world. You're going to come down off this mountain because if I teach you and you learn all these things in the mountain, and then you stay in the mountain, you haven't done anybody any good. At it. Especially in the moment when we talk about what it takes to be perfect, because you can't be perfect alone. If you stay on the mountain all by yourself, you haven't done anybody any good. If we just hang out in the church, we're not going to do anybody any good. So you're you are the covenant of the earth. You're the I'm going to send you out with this covenant. Now here's the next one. And this is one of those and I've talked about this before. There are times when I look at stuff in the scriptures and it drives me nuts because I go, This can't be what it's saying because it doesn't make any sense to me logically. And so then I spent the next couple of days driving Cindy nuts and and, then thinking about all this kind of stuff trying to figure out. This was one of those that made no sense to me. So let me put it to you the way that I looked at it. Okay. Um, Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. I get that part. That makes sense. Here's the one that made no sense to me. Now we have a traditional way of looking at this. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or under a bushel basket but on a candlestick. Now traditionally, if you were going to teach a lesson on this, how would you describe this? Let your your light and spirit show. Okay, and? Talents and those kind of things. Now, here's my question. And the one that drove me nuts. Why would somebody do this? What purpose is there in lighting a candle and then putting it under a bushel? Does that make sense? If 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 I'm going to keep the light from the world, why would I light it in the first place? Why not just... Blow it out. If I don't want them to see it, it, sometimes I've heard it says, "Well, this is like your talents. You have talents, and you're going to keep those talents hidden." Okay, I think there's a there's a level of symbolism to where that works. Why would you like? Why would you take the time and energy to burn a candle and light it, and then cover it? With It might, yeah, depending on how big the bushel is, sure, and that might even make any sense. And if and someone said, well, if you put a bushel over the top of it, then maybe then the light goes out because it's starved for air. Could be, yeah. Present. Many of were many of the disciples were hesitant to let others know about their beliefs because of the persecution. Sure. Yeah, and I kind of went down that road too. I thought. Maybe I'm just shy. You know, I I have this knowledge, but I don't want to tell. We're trying to hasten the work. Maybe I'm just shy uh, of telling people. That's a possibility. Selfishness. Say that one again. Selfishness. Hold, Hold on to that thought, because then suddenly this made sense and it changed the way that I looked at this entire thing. If I'm going to light this candle and put it under a bushel, who does it benefit? Nobody. Me. I lit the candle for me, and why would I then put a bushel over the top of this? So nobody else can see it. It does take some of yourself away, but if the thing described in this is not so much being ashamed, but if it's being driven by selfishness, then I did, because otherwise, if it's about being ashamed, then blow the candle out. But I'm actually going to take the time and I'm going to light it. God gives me gifts, so it isn't like God lit the candle and I'm covering it. I'm lighting the candle, I'm lighting it on fire, I'm putting the bushel over it. Why? Because I'm trying to do something that other people can't see. I'm trying to. Let, let me give you an example of this one. Um, let's go back to, well, I will go to it. A second ago, we were talking about Alma and the Rameyamton. Okay? What were the Rameyamtonites doing? Were they worshiping? Were they worshiping God? Yeah, as they understood it, right? Okay? And so they were feeling good about on on the Sabbath day, we're going to the synagogue, we worship, we we praise God. That's all great stuff, right? But the, the church, in essence, became a bushel, basket. Why? Because it was keeping out everybody else, the unsavory characters, the poor. Yeah? Um, do you think it might be possible also that uh, somebody might have been thinking of uh, something that had been so tried to before the fall and uh, rather than broadcasting to everybody, I have this particular talent or this particular
1: thing that a lot of people don't have. They just went ahead and used that, for, within their own circle, but did not
0: go bragging about it. Could have been. Could have been. Yeah. Say
1: it.
0: <coughs> about about light of people in
1: the Savior, so that's kind of like I would say testimony, like mission work, where you know I'm guilty of this, where we have the testimony you believe and it's strongest, but we don't really want to talk about it, and we don't really want to share it, because we're embarrassed by maybe what how it would be responded, or for whatever reason it is that
0: we don't. Put that that we're going it. to hold on to it. Now, interestingly enough, the Savior is going to reference this, but listen, this is what unlocked this for me. I didn't understand this until I saw how the the Savior did it. And I'm going to, let's hop over to Luke 11 for just a second. Luke 11, 33, he's going to say, No man, when he lighteth the candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, on the candlestick, but that, that they which come in may see the light. So he's, he's, he's obviously referencing this. Okay? But listen in what context he's about to do it. If you just back up, he says, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment, for they repented at the preaching of Jonas, of Jonah. What happened with Jonah in Nineveh? That's what he's putting this in context with. He went in and converted the whole city and ended up mad for the Lord who was it." Yeah, he was. He went in, he actually preached and he went into Nineveh. Did they repent? Yes. Yes, they did. What was Jonah's response to that? He's upset. Fry them. Cook these guys. They've been, they did bad stuff. I, don't, I, I don't, One of the reasons I don't want to go preach to Nineveh is I just don't think they deserve it. They're really bad people. I'm going to hang around in a whale for a few days because <laughs> I don't want to preach to these guys. Why? Because they, they just don't deserve the gospel. I want to take my understanding of the gospel and put a bushel basket over it because they don't deserve it. The Savior sees this as a selfish act. and a selfish act by not sharing with it, not because we're necessarily ashamed, though I think that happens. But more because we are being selfish with what we have. Now, let me give you an example. Uh, I I, uh, I spoke in a, a fireside last night in Arlington to a group of wonderful singers. Do the singles in our midst sometimes feel like there is a bushel basket over the group of others within the church? What's being kept from them? The
1: interaction.
0: Interaction? Responsibility. But hold on, the, the interaction, translate that. Friendship. Translate again. Love. Exactly. In other words, if we, are, if we are cliquish in what we do, it's like say, taking this love of Christ and this love that we have for one another, then putting a bushel basket over it and excluding somebody within our world. Why? Because maybe they're not deserving or maybe we're just uncomfortable with or we are, we are keeping other people out. We have a bushel basket over us. Where else might we do that?
1: Well, I think sometimes when people get callings and they forge ahead and you say, I really <coughs> like the direction you're going, so I'm not going to I'm not going to share the talents I have, but I'll be critical of the... I'm going to put a bushel basket over
0: my support, over my love.
1: You tell me in our community.
0: Yeah, we're going to stay inside here. We're not going to share our love because they may not deserve it kind of thing. They're doing bad stuff. Let me give you another one. And I don't know this is happening quite as much, but, but I would say, what would happen with a family if it turns out that, that one of their kids turns out to be gay? And the response of the family is to say, then we withhold our love, our support, our caring for this person. Does that ever happen in the church? Sure does. We're going to put a bushel basket over our love and we're going to leave you on the outside of it. Tough one. What if you got a kid that's rebelling? Then then fine, I'm going to withhold all kind of love or support or financial anything. I'm going to, We're going to pull back in and we're going to leave you on the outside of all of that. Can that happen? Sure. Any time that we are withholding our love, which is the light of Christ, we, we put ourselves in a danger, I think, of lighting a candle, but then putting a bushel over it and not letting people get the benefit of that one. Is that enough of a sermon? I just think we have to be so careful in in how we do that. Oh, by the way, let let me give you one more. Because this this is one that I see a lot. And 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 it's a tough one. Let me give you a scenario. A husband and a wife get a divorce. In the church, traditionally, here's here's what's been happening. Uh, husband and wife get, get, gets a divorce those on the outside who don't completely understand, what, what do they understand, where does the fault lie, we've got to blame somebody who are we going to blame husband so here's the mom and, and there's, there's going to be wonderful support around the mom what happens with the husband husband is in I don't feel comfortable in the ward anymore because I'm a schmuck whether he did something or not, he might have, but even if he did, he's now excluded. So in my experience, what happens is husband then bounces around between wards, sits in lobbies of sacrament meetings, uh, and then eventually just kind of drifts away. Nobody knows kind of what happened to him, uh, and then he ends up somewhere else, and then he, and he you know, falls in love with the non-member lady at work or something. You, know, you just see these guys drift away. 91 percent of men fall, after a divorce fall away for some period of time and I'm sitting with a group of women last night at a singles cop, or singles fireside and the women are saying where are the guys Well we lost them we lost them. Where did they go well in the process of the split, a split across something like that they ended up being on the outside and that's why it isn't a plano stick we're trying to make. That's why we went ahead with our with our uh, single adult representatives and made them missionaries. It's like go go find them, go get them, go bring them back because we lose enough. Because somehow, in some cases, that love was excluded at a time when they either needed to repent or they at least needed the support or something. And we and we placed a bushel basket over ours <coughs> and then ended up judging. Did you say ninety-one percent of priesthood holders? Yes. Yes. Church, Have some period of inactivity following that. Based on because the records aren't in places, they they, they drop out of their calling, they're not plugged in somewhere. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. I
1: think President New was talking about this
0: a little bit conference where he said, you can't just look at someone who's inactive and say, okay, that's why they went inactive. It was because they, they, it was just one thing. I think sometimes it's hard to let those people. Sometimes we're having to love the, lo- the unlovable, and but and we, we put a basket over the lovable, and then we exclude our
1: love from the unlovable. We need to be very careful about our judgments. Yes, because our judgments, we don't understand everything.
0: No, we don't. We don't understand that we don't understand both sides of it. But we but we hear one side, and we're going to react to that. Even Okay. So, so now let, let, let's, let's continue up the mountain here. But I, but I say it. Okay, hold on. See, if you begin to see this in terms of our reaching out, and that we have a responsibility as covenant Israel to Saul, and we have a responsibility of those who, who have lit the candle. And we have a responsibility to reach out. This is harder. This is much harder. Um, You've heard it said by them of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother, uh, and the Joseph Smith version in Third Nephi, leave out without a cause. Whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of judgment. What if they've done something to hurt you? How tough is that? That is, that is the hardest. That's why the, as we get closer to the summit, what's required of us is a much harder thing and we have to extend love to somebody who has been done painful things to us. Doesn't mean that we accept it. Doesn't mean that we allow them to keep hurting us. But it does mean that we're going to have to extend love and forgiveness. And that's as hard as anything I know. President Holland definitely right on this. This is tough. To the point that, look at verse 23, because now we know. Therefore, if thou bring thy thy oblation, thy gift to the altar, and when are we doing that? Every Sunday. We're putting on the altar and everything. And he says, wait a minute, in the middle of that, thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. There we we have a we have a contention going on. What if the contention is deserved? <laughs> they did something really mean to us. And if you see
1: them sitting there taking the sacrament too. Yeah, and uh, they, they seem to be fine. Yeah. Or they're
0: prospering. I, I want them punished. I want I want pain. <laughs> I had a I, I think I've mentioned this. I, I sat with a couple a uh, couple of years ago, and she was uh, and and he had done some things. He had a series of affairs and things that had just really kind of been very painful. And finally, he was now coming clean, and he was going to the bishop, and the bishop was getting ready to work with him. And then we we're going to talk to the state president. And and she is saying, um, and, and I asked her. What is it you're expecting out of this process? And she says, I want him kicked out. I want him out on his head. And I said, you're wanting him to hurt to the exact level that you got hurt, right? Yes. (laughs) What if the bishop or the state president under um, uh, the direction of the spirit goes a different way and it's not exactly what you wanted. Are you gonna be happy with that? Well, no, because he should be kicked out. I had a case also not long ago. A wonderful bishop called me. I knew um, uh, worked worked with a wonderful brother, and he had he had done a number of things that he really shouldn't have done. And he sat down with his bishop, and his bishop felt uh, that it was time to hold a disciplinary council, and and they held that, and and I knew that it was going on, and I got a very tearful call from the bishop later on that evening, because he said, "I'll I'll let you know how this goes, so you'll know how to help on your side." Um, and he's very very tearful, and he said. Um, I knew as I listened to this man's, the things that he did, certain action needed to be taken. And he says, and I was all set to do that. And we went in and we knelt and what came to my mind strongly was the, the, the woman who had been taken in adultery. And I heard the same words in my head saying, go thy way and sin no more. And he said, I came out and looked at his brother in the eye. And I said, here's the Savior's words to you. Go thy way and sin no more. And by the way, here's your temple with you. And he had gone in there fully expecting to maybe be excommunicated and the be outside the church. And I know that, I, and I talked to him that week and he was all set, to how am I going to handle things as a non-member? And he walked out of that of his temple.
1: He'd been through his garden, like his
0: He had already been, and that's kind of what, he, he had been struggling and in tears so much already that that's what kind of the bishop felt like, that that repentance was full. And he said, he was expecting the judgment to land on him and I felt so strongly I needed to Extend the voice We don't know. We really, really don't. And that is to me the extending of this light that is required of disciples, the salt of the earth, the covenant people, to be able to reach forward and do that. Then I got a call from him. And he and talk. He said, You can't believe what the Bishop just did and I'm just I'm just so unsure and I'm going to the temple tomorrow night Okay, so let me in in the interest of time there's a lot here but I want to kind of finish with this if I can the final line and this, is, this has probably been misunderstood most in the church over the years the top of the, of the summit here you made it to the top of the mountain you survived your hearts changed you made sure that you reached out to others and then he's going to finish with, with this part and he's going to say be ye therefore perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect um, and, and there's a lot of words that we could say around this be ye therefore complete be ye therefore whole but let me ask you more specifically and in, 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 again let me go back uh, and look at the temple what do we know in conjunction with our our, uh, our relatives on the other side of the veil We, without them, cannot be made perfect. What does that say to you about perfection? Why? 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 Why would we call that? Why are we going to do that and call that perfection?
1: Because they couldn't do it for themselves, and so we have to help them. We do to be our family wants to be if you are the celestial kingdom alone
0: you're not the celestial kingdom yes <laughs> <laughs> and it's not perfection <clears throat> yeah
1: in the first presidency message this month the prophet said that when we go do temple work we're like unto the savior here
0: actually well, and, and, and we are doing what the savior would do which is this is my work And my glory, and I would add, this is my work and my glory and my perfection to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man.
1: So how were the people that the Savior was speaking to supposed to do their genealogy?
0: Ah, what would that mean to these disciples sitting on that mountain? Be ye therefore perfect. Now, listen to the words. You are the salt of the earth. You're going to light a candle, but don't cover it with a bushel. What is he saying to them? Your perfection rests on your actions. Your actions, and specifically, which actions? Just making sure you pay your tithing and all that. What teaching, teaching, and sharing, and reaching out, and loving the unlovable, and bringing others to Christ. and others to Christ, doing all that he does. and doing all that he did, and what he did was wear out his life. Bringing others in, uh, not because that that would be perfection. Perfection is changing in our hearts, and like like uh, Elder Oaks is saying, perfection and exaltation is not about what we do; it's what we've become, right? And what we've become, it then becomes, is manifest by the fact that we then go out with a driving force and love the unlovable, and we go give. Yeah. So,
1: this kind of summarizes it all up. I've got it. When we served our mission, I had on our refrigerator uh, a picture of Christ, and on one side it said, "I never said it would be easy." On the other side, it just said, it, "I just said it would be worth it."
0: Yes. And I get up every morning and, and think and look at
1: that, and as and all this kind of—it's not easy to go out and approach somebody. Yeah. But it's worth
0: it. It is worth it. Let me finish with President Kimball. Zion cannot be built up only among those who are pure in heart. Zion can be built up only among those who are the pure in heart. Not a people torn by covetousness or greed, but a pure and selfless people. Not a people who are pure in appearance, but rather a people who are pure in heart. Zion is to be in the world and not of the world, not dulled by a sense of carnal security or paralyzed by materialism. No, Zion is not the things of the lower but of a higher order, things that exalt the mind and sanctify the heart. Zion is every man seeking the interest of his neighbor. And, and, and our neighbor exists on both sides of the veil. And doing all things with an eye single to the glory of God. As I understand these matters, Zion can be established only by those that are impure in heart and who labor for Zion. I believe that, that when we're taking a look at this sermon on, on the mountain, this this leadership training thing for those of us who would be disciples. It's teaching us how we need to deal with, it. first of all, change, making the changes in our, our own heart and then doing the very difficult work of reaching out to others that don't always want to be rescued. But being able to find a way to do that anyway. And not excluding those in our midst who lead, need our love the most. I pray that we can do that in this most difficult but rewarding task. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Okay. Next week we will finish the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's six and seven. We're
1: we're going to
0: go June fifteenth down to Canton. Oh, good. For you. You, you, you'll you'll love to travel today, especially when me. Teaching at school is a very very good teacher. And come come ready with your scriptures. I'm looking yeah.
1: forward
0: to the classes. Who, who else? This? Uh, I, I do not. <laughs> so so i sure. no, 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 no. right, just will no, no, no. no, no. no. oh, It usually brings somebody with it.
1: Uh, most of the ones that I did, I saw
0: two, but I did not on, on this one. I did. I'll, I'll have to. It makes, to sometimes me. he does not <laughs> Congratulations. I just wanted to I,
1: I think yeah. here is hard.
0: I wish I'd gone sure. there. Yeah. 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 No, that that would have been a great application. Because that that's where real that's kind of the incubation for. You can't do this; it's hard as well. Do that. and that's where you're going to learn
1: it in your own group. Uh,
0: you know, last night I heard a great call from Kendrick, and, and I guess he used to say the I name. Mean, Someone could be in the temple. And, and, and some of those, some, of, some men are going to be surprised at Resurrection morning to stand up and try and resurrect the Bible no, oh, I'm sorry, I, I've got a choice, and I choose
1: not to. This is a good way to try. I think that this church, the Lord is here on the face of this.
0: And actually allowing that ceiling to take place, to change. So, great point. In fact, I may have to leave with that next week.